hey, remember when we did that episode about bags? Yeah. And then all of a sudden we have a new friend. I love friends. It's exciting. <laughs> so Candid made a friend. Um, Think Tank uh, has very generously offered to help us out with a really cool contest that we'd like to announce to you today. Um, the idea is that our discussion about whether you use a messenger bag or a backpack has sparked some uh, some controversy, and we would like to find out which side you guys fall on. So, uh, Alvaro, why don't you tell these good people how they can win themselves a fancy think tank bag? Well, uh, as everyone knows, there's, there are only two kinds of people, right? Those who prefer a backpack and those who prefer a messenger bag. And, and then there are everybody else who is just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so we thought it, this could be a very, very fun opportunity to to get people engaged and uh, settle this discussion once and for all. So here's what you need to do. This is a contest that we will be having over Twitter. So if you're not following us there, you totally should. Uh, you can find me at Analog Census. Uh, you can find Marius at Mostly Marius and Josh at Josh Ginter. Joshua Ginter. You did really, really well, though, to remember everybody's handles. I'm impressed, actually. Well done. <laughs> Sorry about that. Nope, no problem. And of course, you can also follow the show on Twitter, which is candid underscore FM. So there's that. Uh, what do you need to do to win? Well, you have to tweet out uh, which side you prefer uh, using the hashtag Team Backpack or Team Messenger, uh, depending on which one, which side you're on. And you you have to. Uh, state your reason for preferring one or the other. It's not just good enough. It's not good enough to just say team backpack and that's it. No, you have to say why. We we want opinionated people here. <laughs> You're opening a big can of worms here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but this is fun. Uh, and so this is this last part is very important. Uh, in order for us to be able to find your tweets, you need to include the. Uh, our, the Twitter handle, the Twitter handle for the show, uh, which again is candid underscore fm, uh, at the end of your tweet. So that way we can just do a Twitter search and find all of you good-looking people who decided to participate. And uh, in order to pick a winner, we'll just go with the funniest, the most convincing answer, and we'll let you know. Yeah, so we're going to let the contest run for about a week. And um, if you're curious what exactly you'll be winning, it depends on what team you're on. But Think Tank is offering either their retrospect uh, Retrospective 20 um, messenger style bag, which we actually spoke about on the show, um, or an equivalent backpack style bag. So we'll let you know depending on which team you're on, but you're in for an extremely good prize. These bags are wonderful. We all... I think all of us have one at this point. Yeah, I do now. So they come highly recommended. They're excellent, durable bags made by very nice people. And uh, we're really excited to give one away. So by all means, hop on Twitter. Um, I, I, you know what? They just sent me uh, uh, the Urban Approach 15 backpack. And I wasn't a backpack person, but I might be a backpack person now. Are you switching teams? Oh. Oh, my God. I feel betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Can I kick him off the call? Can we do this? Let me just check Skype. Here. I think so. You should. There's a whole new level of nerdery going on in the Ginter household. I now carry a backpack everywhere I go. I definitely love. Sorry, guys. It looks like we just lost Josh for a moment there. Uh, well, uh, well, well, we'll try to see yeah. if we can get him back on the call. Yeah, but... I just have to go on without him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are funny. 
not very funny at all actually okay sorry about that but so yeah anyway it is a good backpack so there are some good options to be had on think tank's website definitely definitely i think these are some of the most durable bags out there and uh, if you're looking to be discreet uh, on your on your trips or something like that uh, you basically can't beat these these great bags so Speaking of opinionated people, we received some <laughs> extremely kind reviews this week. Uh, at least I think it was this week. Maybe it was last week. Either way, they're new reviews and they basically made our day. So this is just a casual reminder. If you guys take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes, not only does it help us with the show's rankings, but it also really makes us smile. It makes us happy. You actually made Alvaro blush, which is something we've been making fun of him for um, mercilessly in Slack. Uh, so by all means, please continue to give us this ammunition by leaving reviews on iTunes. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we've got a really good topic today. I'm I'm excited about this one. I think it's something that um, sooner or later we're we're all going to confront, and I think it probably came about for us because several of us are either going on trips or or have been on trips recently, and so of course we're thinking about what camera gear to bring with us. So we'd like to talk a bit about what it means to be a travel camera, what what kind of thing constitutes a travel camera, what we like to bring, what different kinds there might be and what our priorities are when uh, when traveling with camera equipment. So let's dig in. Right. Yeah, let's see if we have if we can get this done in 45 minutes. Unlikely though. <laughs> the great thing about this topic is that there's not likely to be any controversy whatsoever. This is a completely safe topic to talk about because everybody agrees on what is best to carry with you on a trip, right guys? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Double like accuse. Exactly. There you go. Well, I mean, that's your first uh, criterion right there to, to pick up uh, anything to take with you on a trip. It has to fit to like accuse, right? Of course. Yeah. Does it have the red dot? No, but there. Are, when, when you're talking about going on a trip, it, first of all, it depends a lot on what kind of trip you're taking, of course, because it, it's not the same thing to go away for a couple of days or a weekend or to go away for a month, right? So that right there is a is a very important factor, and you'll have to plan to plan accordingly. But uh, generally speaking, I think we can uh, sort of agree that travel kits differ from uh, your regular kit in that you should probably aim to make it uh, a little bit lighter, a little bit um, um, easier to carry with you, right? And to that end, I think there are some really great options out there. And uh, the, the last few years have been incredible in the amount of releases we've seen, uh, I would say, aimed at this particular use case. Um, so yeah, we have a lot to dig into in in, in today's episode. So let's get to it. Do you guys have a lot of experience already with this stuff? Like Marius, you're a fairly frequent traveler, correct? I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to travel as often as I can. So, uh, and I do get a chance to go somewhere at least every year. So it's, uh, right. you know, I, I guess I confront this frequently enough. And what's been your experience so far? Um, are you, uh, are you a non interchangeable lens kind of camera guy when you travel or, uh, uh, do you like having multiple options on the go? Well, you know, see, that's a that's something that I've actually fluctuated on a little bit because I used to carry several lenses and an interchangeable lens body with me. And more recently, I've been carrying around my X100T, which of course is a, is a fixed focal length camera. And it's a very different experience, really. And it, I'm not quite convinced of the merits of one over the other. And... Uh, 
it, it's difficult because I think when you travel and when you're assembling a travel kit, you have to decide um, what your priorities are going to be. And as Alvaro mentioned, it's probably different than what you're thinking about when you're just assembling your normal um, kit for a professional shoot or for you know somewhere around the house or uh, things like that. And f for me, it's... Um, I don't know, it's difficult because on the one hand, I do value a compact kit because of course you're more likely to use the camera or you know take it out of the bag and have it with you if it's not a burden. But on the other hand, if that requires a compromise in image quality, then that's kind of, it's a difficult compromise to make, especially if you're going on one of these more once in a lifetime type trips. Like, is it worth a little bit of extra strain to make sure that you're getting the maximum quality images out of this place where you're, you know, you might not ever uh, visit again? Um, so for me, it's actually a very difficult choice to make. And I think, I, I don't think I have a, a set answer yet because depending on the trip, I would probably be tempted to go one way or the other. Right. For me, for me too. I I don't think I've ever been able to compromise on on that image quality aspect that you mentioned. I just I am always uh, willing to carry more stuff or more exp more heavy st heavier stuff uh, just for that peace of mind. You know, to know that the images you're going to capture are going to look as best as possible. And uh, I'm seriously having doubts about that because my last trip I I spent four days in Paris and uh, and I'm not sure I made the right call as far as gear goes I took a full-frame camera with me with several lenses and on top of that a film camera with its own lens and uh, several rolls of film and that was just so so much stuff it, it, it was too much clearly too much and I ended up with uh, uh, you know, actually quite serious pain in my shoulder uh, from having to carry all of that. So I I think in the future I'm going to think twice about that and I may, I may start compromising a little bit. I've also taken trips with my Olympus EM10, which is a micro four thirds camera, which is a lot smaller than my current uh, full frame camera. And I never experienced those problems when I took that instead of the full frame camera with me. And since it's a smaller camera and the lenses are also pretty small, I could take I could still take a few lenses with me and not not have basically any any problems whatsoever. So it depends a lot on on what particular gear you own and what you can take with you. But in the past, I've I've always erred on the side of uh, leaning too much towards image quality and disregarding the size and weight uh, and weight aspect a little bit. And uh, yeah, I'm, I might, I may be going back on that a little bit in the future. That's understandable, I think. What about you, Josh? Because you're planning a trip right <laughs> I now. Am. So, what's what's going into um, your kit? So I've taken two or three trips in the past. I did one trip to New York, and I brought along a, a Nikon D5100 with like a travel 18 to 200 millimeter lens. So it was just one package and and all that. I didn't enjoy that experience at all. Um, and then I took another trip in the future to the same city with just an Olympus EM10 and that 20 millimeter pancake lens from Panasonic. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> for travel purposes, it's I don't know if there's a better lens. Um, 
so though that was a far superior experience i shot tons and tons and tons of photos but i'll tell you like um i went to a baseball game and well you can't take any pictures uh with a 20 millimeter lens at a baseball game not very many at least um or anything like that where you know a prime lens on a little camera like that kind of uh there was a little bit of a limitation so then last summer we went to uh we went to vancouver and I brought along the Olympus EM10 and a 12 to 40 millimeter F2.8 Pro. I've reviewed that on Tools and Toys, and then the larger 40 to 150 millimeter F2.8 Pro. So I had a a cat like a standard zoom lens, and then the longer telephoto lens. And I think I had all of the um, I have all the focal lengths covered for the most part. But I didn't. I hated having to change lenses. So now I've just got primes in my bag because I didn't enjoy the my time with those zoom lenses. And we're going to Europe in a couple months, and I'm a little bit. But I've, I'm nervous. I I'm not sure if I want to be changing lenses all the time with my primes when we're out there. So I'm. I think I leaned. I think my favorite experience was the 20 millimeter time when I went to New York with a the, just a 20 millimeter lens. Um, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm nervous about just having prime lenses for an entire, like almost a month trip in Europe. I'm not sure if that's going to be the right, especially with the, the full frame body, it's a lot bigger as well. Right. You made a very interesting observation, which is that you attended, uh, was it a baseball uh, game? Right. Yep. And that's a uh, like a world apart. It's a, it's a completely different use case. In my experience, whenever I, I've, uh, you know, been on a trip, I very rarely need to go over uh, about 85 millimeters or so, which is the longest, the, the longest lens that you currently own, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yep. So I think in my mind, you, I would be totally fine going with the three lenses that you that you have right now. Yeah. the the only The only reason I want a telephoto lens is because of the way, um, you know, the compression of a telephoto lens for landscape shots. I just I'm just in love with with that look these days so i think that might be the only reason why i'm nervous and there's lots of landscapes to take pictures of in europe uh, i think you could probably attest to that mark uh alvaro like you could easily attest to that yeah definitely definitely and you see a lot of variation uh yeah depending on the country that you're that you're in yeah. right so that's that's the big thing and then the other half is that i'm just nervous about uh like you know walking around and so on i've got a good walk around lens the 25 millimeter lens i have is a nice and wide walk around lens so that'll be good um but it is a little wide so there might be times where i actually have to change lenses on the go and i didn't have to do that when i was in vancouver so i just had to turn the zoom ring so it'll be a, a different um it'll be a different experience i'm sure to me, this question is further complicated by the fact that we are all photographers, right. um, whereas this is a question that also confronts people who are traveling with a more casual set of photography needs. And for them, it's, you know, the, the whole concept of having to change lenses is probably going to dissuade them from taking that kind of kit with them, which is, you know, I think that's the, that is really the, the last remaining bastion for um, compact point and shoot style cameras where you're getting an upgrade versus your smartphone in terms of image quality, but you're retaining the same um, very, very simple, very um, straightforward usability, which 
is, you know, I mean, because ultimately for a certain class of traveler who is, you know, not a photography geek, that's, that's the ultimate thing. It's like, can I just get a better shot from my smartphone, but not really have to think about it, not really have to fiddle with things and not have to carry a giant machine with me everywhere I go? Because for them, the trip is the, uh, you know, that's the priority. And capturing some memories is is just a, a component and it shouldn't be one that that places a burden on the rest of the travel experience and that's where i think um our answers are going to differ a little bit from um you know maybe your your average traveler's answers so hopefully we can account for those needs as well because um oftentimes we might find ourselves recommending cameras to people who are traveling and are not photographers so we have to you know make sure that the recommendations we give are not based on our priorities and our usage needs, but based on what would actually make them happy. Right. As it turns out, like, you know, we we could go down a whole bunch of avenues with this, like point and shoots and um, compact pro cameras or action cameras. Like uh, for this trip coming up, my wife actually, she kind of wants a GoPro. Uh, and I had never considered a GoPro before for traveling purposes, but I, like it, uh, from the onset, it looks like it's just a brilliant camera to take along on a trip. Yeah, the GoPro is an interesting one, and well, action cameras in general, but but GoPro obviously has that market pretty cornered at this yeah. point. Um, one thing you'll notice um, is that it is an extremely popular travel camera. So um, what I was talking about, as far as an upgrade over your smartphone, but easy to carry around. I mean, the GoPro is is exactly that, and it's funny to me when I uh, when was it last year? I was in Mexico, and the amount of people who had a GoPro on a selfie stick with them everywhere was uh ridiculous wow. it was just it was one of the strangest things i've ever seen you know walking through looking at tour groups and just it it looked like this strange blob with antennas well at least it was on a selfie stick and not on some sort of like chest mounted thing or on their head or that <laughs> oh no no there were those oh. too there were those too but it's harder to it's harder to tell right because it's uh you know when there's a selfie stick it's generally brandished out in front of them or above them so it's uh, anyway, my point is that it's actually a very popular travel camera, and I think it's a pretty good choice, but it, I mean, I, I have one, and it's a very, um, I find it to be a bit of a finicky camera, to be honest with you. Like, it, you can get great imagery out of it, but it's actually not that easy to do. I think people just look at it as a, the sort of camera that you just leave recording, and uh, they, they sort of see, I'll see what it captures when I get home. Right, and it's always yeah. on, and then you could just sort of uh, examine the footage when afterwards. You know, I think uh, at least that's the way I look at it. I don't, I don't yeah. really think of the GoPro as a photography camera, more like a video camera. But it, of course, it does take pictures too. So I'm sure there are people who use it for that. Do you guys have any recommendations? Would you recommend like a used one for a trip like ours, or what do you, what do you guys think? I mean, you could go for something like the, uh, I think the silver model has the LCD screen built in. So at least you have some sense of what you're shooting without having to connect it to your smartphone. Okay. Um, but in terms of image quality and things like that, I mean, it's, again, I found it finicky because sometimes you will be in what seems like perfect conditions as far as lighting, um, but you'll still get a blurry shot or you'll still get something wonky with it. So you have to spend some time um just exploring the settings and shooting with it 
like at home before you go on the trip, basically, so that you know how it reacts to certain scenarios. But once you've got a handle on it, it's actually, you know, you're going to get some great images. It's obviously got that GoPro extreme wide angle look to it. Mm -hmm. um, but they're, they're 12 megapixel images. They're decently sharp. Um, honestly, from my perspective, it's, it's a step below most, um, most modern point and shoot cameras in terms of just image quality. But it's also you know, that, that wide angle look is very distinctive and it's something that you can't get, uh, with most point and shoot cameras or. Well, what I was, I was, I think the biggest draw, especially for my wife was the, the fact that it's waterproof that you could right. just take it underwater. And I, um, I think that was what kind of caught my eye as well. I'm not going to do that with any a seven two at this point in time. That's true. Yeah. And that's another big thing is if you're going somewhere where, you know, there's going to be a lot of swimming or you just want to kind of see what it's like underwater, then that's that's an excellent choice. Um, and you can get a whole bunch of accessories too for underwater GoPro use, like um, color filters to, you know, balance out the uh, the underwater look. Oh, I've got research to do now. Oh, yeah. thanks guys. My pocketbook is screaming. No, honestly, the GoPro ecosystem is huge now. So if you buy into it, you're going to start accessorizing it like crazy. Okay. It's a very slippery Great. slope. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm planning on paying for a trip too now, so... <laughs> Oh, you should have you should have led with that. You want to actually have money left over. I see. Are there any other action cameras that you guys have tried or heard of? Or um, I have two that that are sort of on my radar as far as things I'm curious about. I don't think either of them are out right now. Um, one of them is the Samsung Gear 360 that they kind of unveiled along with the S7s recently. Um, and to me, this is interesting because it's kind of the first push towards um, consumer level. VR in the sense that it's this this compact, cute little eyeball that you carry around with you and it shoots pretty good 360 video, which you can then share on Facebook and anyone with a Gear VR can essentially experience your trip um, in a way that you, you really can't with a standard still image or normal, uh, normal video. So for me, that's pretty exciting. And I... Um, I think having tried Gear VR now, I can definitely see why that market is booming. Um, and then the other one is uh, is actually a, a very similar camera by Nikon, um, and this is, I guess, their their answer to the GoPro. Um, it's called Key Mission, and it's sort of a 360 action camera that's shockproof and waterproof, and um, shoots 4K video, and seems to be really neat. Um, Again, it's it's one of those market areas that's exploding now, so we're probably going to see a bunch of very interesting um, cameras coming out. But what's cool is that I think people are pushing past sheer action camera into the realm of 360 video. That seems to be... That's pretty awesome. Yeah, the next stage. I wasn't familiar with either of these two cameras, cameras that you just mentioned, but I, I could check them out uh, on the website. Uh, I could check their websites a little before we started recording. And they look incredible. Yeah. Uh, the, the Samsung one, though, I I was a little bit confused about that one, that one because while it does seem to want to compete with the GoPros and and that kind of action camera in general, um, I, I was I was reading through these specs and apparently it's not it's not waterproof, right? It's like dust and splash resistant, but it's not. I mean, you couldn't. I don't think you can submerge it in water. Right. No, I don't think that the Samsung um, Gear 360 is actually competing with the action cameras per se. I think it's more just like, I am a 360 camera. You can capture VR experiences with me. And that's pretty much it. I don't I don't think that they're actually trying to 
position it as an action camera, whereas the key mission is. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so the key mission is actually the the Nikon version of the GoPro that also does 360. So that's I think that's the more direct comparison. And of course, GoPro is also doing their own um, 360 thing. I, I forget what it's called now. Um, but it's either way, it's it's very cool. And it's I'm wondering if this is the next stage for photography in general is forget capturing one particular scene, like capture the whole environment and make it possible for me to experience it however I want, not necessarily the way that you want. That key mission looks really cool. There's a video on the Nikon website for the key mission uh, showing people kayaking and you can sort of flip the footage around and see what's behind the person who's recording. That's really cool. And that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And it's very like, I don't know if you guys have tried any sort of VR um, system so far, but uh, you know, I had the, the Samsung one in the house last week and uh, it's pretty remarkable. It's, it's one of those technologies that very much feels like the future. Right. So uh, these all run on micro SD cards, right? That's how you record your yeah. storage. And like, what kind? Of, what are you looking at for storage use? Like, or do you need um, for four K video? How much does it take? Let's say you captured an hour of four K video. What does that take for storage purposes? That's a great question. Um, I think it's it's not really that much in terms of raw storage size, but it's the speed of the card that's important. You need a pretty fast SD card to be able to handle 4K video. And usually you're talking about class 10 or better. And those are not always, uh, those are not always cheap. <laughs> yeah, it also depends on the settings because obviously the GoPro and most of these will probably have several different options for um, frame rates and things like that. So that will influence how much storage it eats up per... But gee whiz though, if you're going to record an entire day of a trip, like you're looking at some serious storage either way. Yeah, I don't think it's practical to do that in 4K unless you're really packing a lot of storage with you. Um, I, I think the the more realistic thing is people recording in either 2K or 1080, and uh, then you can leave it running for ages, basically on a standard 32 or 64 gig card. Right, because the problem is not only recording and archiving that footage, but when, when you get home and you actually want to edit it and process it, it... Hand, uh, yeah, there's a lot of junk left over, right? Yeah, and getting through so much uh, 4K footage is a, is a nightmare, really. I mean, because it's going to take a lot of resources for, for, uh, from your machine and the time that it's going to take you to even just copy the, the files over to your computer is going to be pretty significant. So Right. Oh, man, I'm, I really want to get one of these now for the trip. I'm just like, I'll be that guy with the, what do they call it? The chesty or something like that, where you put it on your <laughs> chest and just walk around. Oh, yeah, that's going to be me. I should put it on a little baseball cap right on top of my head. That'd be even funnier. They have a, a mount that looks kind of like one of those um, caving um, head strap things, like the, where the lamp right? goes, except instead of a lamp, it's a GoPro. Huh. So you can be all all kinds of cool with the... Uh... <laughs> with a big Sony camera around my neck and a big backpack. Oh, I'm going to look like a total traveler <laughs> yeah yeah so the gopro is a great option i think it's a very popular option and it's easy to see why because you know it's it's like there's one button you point it it's impossible to not get what you want in the frame because it's such a wide field of view and the image quality is a step up from your smartphone so it's it really ticks a lot of boxes for people and i think that um once we start transitioning into like a full 360 degree view it's going to totally take over the travel camera market yeah probably may as well get a head start Especially for people, you know, with active lifestyles and, and people who go have fun adventures on their trips. That's 
a use case that just fits the GoPro like a glove, I would say. Getting away from the action cameras then. Um, so I had to change all these lenses on my camera. Um, is it smarter for me to just ditch and ditch the extra gear and go more to the, um, the portability side and get a compact point and shoot? Like what's on the market these days? Or is that a good way to go? Or uh, Well, that's, that's a very tricky question because for... For someone else, I would probably say yes, but knowing you, <laughs> I, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't really right. think, yeah, I think you're going to want to take the, the a7 II. Okay, so I'm somebody else. Yeah, but for for the, the distinction that Marius made earlier, I think is very important because photographers are naturally going to be more invested in the quality of the pictures that they want to take, right? And so knowing that you have a perfectly good full-frame camera and leaving it at home, at least for me, wouldn't be an option, clearly. Yeah, that won't be an option, but... Exactly. Let's say that it was. Exactly. <laughs> let's say uh, Jacqueline, for example, wants her own camera for the trip, right? That's a, right. That's a fair assumption. So you could look at these, uh, these point-and-shoots, basically, which are used to be massively popular before smartphones kind of took over uh, that entire segment. Uh, and now they are... A rarity, I would say. They are an endangered species, uh, except for a few uh, notable exceptions, like the Sony RX100, for example, which is a very popular uh, point-and-shoot and packs pretty great image quality, and it's just tiny, and, and it fits in the in the pocket of any jacket, basically. So that's a very that's a very compelling choice, and there are others. Uh, that are very similar to that one. Uh, I don't have much of an experience with those, but maybe you guys can can point a couple of those out. Uh, so, so the RX100 is the obvious one because that, uh, and there are, I think, four generations of it out now, so you can even yep. sort of pick one based on your budget because they have obviously improved over time, but ultimately the image quality is fairly similar between them. Um, you're going to see differences in the lens. You're going to see differences in um, autofocus performance and things like that. I, I think, that, Alvaro, you're right. This is a struggling category because it, it's very difficult to justify spending um, as much for a compact camera as you might for your smartphone. Uh, and, you know, like it's there's also no real growth potential because at least when you buy an entry-level DSLR or something like that, you know that you can add in uh, more sophisticated lenses and there's, you know, you're buying into a system whereas compact you basically what you buy is what you get and that's that's all you'll ever get out of it exactly but it kind of does make sense you know that the the ones that have survived are the higher priced ones yeah and smartphones have cannibalized the lower end of that market absolutely yeah because there are some people out there for whom a point and shoot a high-end point and shoot is still legitimately the best choice and those are the people who buy the rx100 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. There's also a sister camera to the RX100 that is pretty fascinating. It's the RX10 series, and I think they're on the Mark II now. That thing is really cool because it's got a almost DSLR-like styling to the body. It's very comfortable to hold. It's not quite as big as your average DSLR. Um, it still has one lens built in, but it's got a crazy zoom range. I forget the actual figures, but it's like some wild range from wide to extreme telephoto. And it has a really good image sensor and great autofocus. So for people who kind of like the comfort of a DSLR but want to keep it compact and you know don't want to worry about switching lenses, you know, 
Josh, um, <laughs> things like that. This is this is actually a really cool option. Um, I, I don't think it gets a lot of press. It's only a year or two old, but it's it's an awesome little camera. This is what is considered a bridge camera, right? Yes. So it's not entirely, it's not like a point and shoot because you have plenty of dials and buttons all over the camera. So it, it takes some knowledge to get the most out of it. Of course, it will have also an automatic mode where you just forget about everything and point and shoot. It, it can work like that. But it's meant for somebody who, uh, yeah, like you said, for somebody who doesn't want to change lenses and uh, knows what he's doing, right? So this is a pretty cool camera, actually. I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with it, but I'm looking at it right now and I could see myself using this on a trip. Yeah, like it's a very, very good travel camera. It's It punches above its weight class in terms of image quality and it's very versatile because of that, that insane lens basically you know it's it's one of those uh it is a bridge camera but i think most of the people who are using it are probably going to um be taking advantage of its many automated modes and and helper features so should we like i think we could probably talk about the elephant in the room and just talk about smartphones for travel cameras too because at the end of the day um like a smartphone has gps built in it's got you're editing things right on board. Like the GPS thing for me would be, is really cool. I like to keep a lot of my trips in uh, in my day one. And right. to have the location settings just baked right into the into the camera is, is especially for traveling, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So far in, in my life, the two biggest trips that I've ever taken, uh, I only had a smartphone with me as my main camera. I went three weeks to Brazil and a month to Australia and all I took was my current iPhone with me. So you can definitely make it work. Yeah, absolutely. No question. And today's iPhones are even are a lot better than the one I, I took with me. So so it's more like a supplemental one for you guys, for sure. Hey, a supplemental camera. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest um, the biggest impediment to using my smartphone as the only travel camera I have is not so much about image quality as ergonomics, because any smartphone is just not especially comfortable to take pictures with. Um, right. And you can sort of get around this a little bit by having a camera case or something like that. But ultimately, at that point, it's I, I think to myself, why not just bring an actual camera? Right. Um, you know, and you you accept certain limitations if you're doing smartphone photography because generally you have a fixed focal length and digital zoom, which I don't use. Um, you have uh, you know a, a very small sensor, so you're you've got to be pretty um, careful about what you're trying to photograph because there's some things that are just not going to turn out. Um, but yeah, for me for me it's kind of uh, we've reached the point where image quality wise, I would be happy with. Um, like in in 90% of circumstances during travel i think a smartphone can can capture the scenario but um or the scene rather but it's again for me it's the the ergonomic angle is very important and this is why you know i have some some struggles with the sony a6000 as well which should be a perfect camera but just the simple fact that i don't find it comfortable to use made me dislike it and it's the same same kind of thing with a, a smartphone i love having it with me it's definitely always my um, my backup or my, you know, secondary travel camera, but I like having an actual camera, if only for that feel and that ability to have certain dials and certain controls more easily accessible. Right. And the flip side to that, to that story is that for most people, a smartphone, uh, they look at it in a different way as they do a camera. And I know myself, for example, 
every time I, I bring the camera with me, I go into full photography mode mentally, and, it, and I can just zone out of whatever whatever I'm doing and, and start thinking only in terms of I want to take pictures of this, of that, of, of, of everything, really. So sometimes you have to make the choice of I'm not bringing the camera and you can still take the phone with you and, and you know that you, if, you, if you need to or want to, you're going to be able to take great pictures. But you, you sort of, I at least sort of do it in, as a, an attempt to be more present in the moment. Because I know I can get carried away with the camera like very easily. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. And that's that's something that um, I think is a problem that, again, we face as photography geeks more than uh, your average traveler. But it is something to keep in mind. Like if, if you really just want to be a traveler rather than a traveling photographer, exactly. then that will change, that will change your, uh, your gear choices. And it is a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. So what other kinds of accessories do we, would you guys recommend? I know that uh, some people have, they take a neck strap or a shoulder sling. What side of the ballpark do you fall on that one? Oh, shoulder. Absolutely shoulder. Okay. I, I don't like neck straps. I can't stand the camera like slapping me on the butt cheek every time. Like that's annoying. Hmm. That means you've got it too low. Well, okay, but <laughs> it still is annoying. <laughs> I don't use either of those. I just used a wrist strap. To carry your Sony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no strap. These days, I'm not using any strap at all. Oh actually. my! Oh, because I lost my, I lost mine when I went on the hiking trip to Nevada. I, I I lost my my Peak Design wrist strap. Oh no! So yeah, I, I don't have one right now. Uh, I do use the uh, what was the name? The capture clip. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I gotta get me one of those. So I have that on on the strap of my bag. So whenever I'm not actually using the the camera, I just clip it on on the to the strap, and and my hands are free. That's a that's a handy little thing for sure. Oh yeah, it's been incredibly useful for me, definitely. Because right. I I can't imagine I've got the grip on the bottom of my A7 II, and I'm really hesitant to take that with a shoulder sling for an entire trip. And then if I'm gonna have a backpack on my back, I'm slinging a shoulder sling across my body plus a backpack. It's not it doesn't work as well as I would like. No, it doesn't. So that's why I'm actually leaning towards a neck strap for the trip. I don't know. For me, maybe it's just the kind of travel that that I was doing, but I always found that a neck strap, especially with a a camera that has any sort of heft to it. Right. Super painful after a while. That Well, it's, it's painful, but it's also, I found that it flops around a lot more. Um, you know, especially if you're doing something like climbing, it's awful yeah, true yeah. with the next Very strap. True. It's really, really bad. Any kind of hiking, it's like it, it just keeps swinging out in front of you. And if you're climbing in mountainous areas, like... I sometimes do, then it swings right into a rock and that's not a happy place. So it's just, yeah, for me, for me, the neck strap thing is not so great. I mean, I have a peak design, um, I forget the model, but it's the one that looks like a blue seat belt and it's actually quite comfortable. Um, but I look at it as more of my, my fashion strap, if you will, because it, it looks better than it feels right. Uh, you know, after a long day of shooting. Right. But that's exactly the kind of scenario, what you were describing, where the capture clip works incredibly well. If you're hiking or if you're climbing or whatever, you can clip it to the strap of your backpack, for example, and you know the camera's not going to move at all. And uh, on, on my recent hiking trip that I mentioned before, it was it was incredibly convenient to have the camera, you know, with the lens uh, pointing down. Uh, I didn't even put the lens cap on. I just left it there 
and and I was walking through snow and everything. And by the end of the day, the uh, the lens was pristine. It was it, it hadn't got any dirt or anything on it, uh, so it worked. Yeah, perfect. I couldn't I couldn't have asked for anything more really. Yeah, that system is a great one. Oh, my mind is flying right now. Now I'm thinking about getting rid of all these straps and just getting one of these things instead. Japers Alvaro. <laughs> Sorry about that. Have you tried one though, Josh? Because I I I feel like it's one of those things that you have to kind of try for yourself because yeah. it's a very different carrying system than most people are used to. And I know yeah, it takes some getting used to, definitely. Exactly. Like when I switched to uh, from from neck straps to the Black Rapid sling style straps ages ago, I remember spending a lot of time being anxious because it's just it's strange. Thought it might fall off. Yeah, like it's you go from something that intuitively seems more secure to something that looks like oh my god it's dangling from one point <laughs> and it's like oh crap is it gonna fall and you know of course it never does but it's just it takes a little bit of of getting used to and you also have to learn how to sling it because i had the same complaint that you just mentioned earlier about it you know always slapping you in the butt as you're walking around yeah that's that's annoying but it turns out it's just a matter of learning how to secure the strap what length makes the most sense and you know you've got to use the little clippy things to stop it from always swinging forward when you lean forward and things like that so you you get used to it and it kind of just becomes another one of those things that you know how to do but um yeah, for me, it's the the comfort angle and also the practicality angle for more dynamic stuff than just like touring a city. Um, I, I just fall in favor of the sling straps and the capture clip is is terrific. Yeah, that's especially if you're doing any kind of more active um, traveling. That is like it's it's an amazing system. Yeah, and or if you need both your hands to you know handle whatever whatever to grab a map or to pick up something, you know, lots of things uh, that you normally don't think of, but you do need your, your hands more often than, than you might think. Yeah. And for those cases, it's it's incredible. And it does take some getting used to because, for example, I the first thing I did when I was testing the capture clip the, uh, when I got it, I, it was, I removed the neck strap altogether. And it was super crazy because I was uh, self-conscious all the time. I, I knew I was grabbing you know a big expensive camera with my hands and there was no safety whatsoever there but you do get used to that um uh, you do get used to that but it's of course not not something i would recommend uh to do on a regular basis now i i use the i forget the name i think it's the cuff the cuff strap from peak design and you can attach a little uh, anchoring point to the camera and then the strap uh, sort of locks onto that and you can very easily take the strap uh, you know on and off the camera without messing around with it too much that's perfect that works perfectly with in combination with the capture clip and that was my system of choice until I unfortunately lost the, the strap I will be getting another one definitely but for now I'm I'm just going uh, str uh, strapless really yeah. strapless right yes so Speaking of supporting um, your camera equipment, do you guys travel with tripods? Because this is one thing that I I just I don't do, and maybe it's because I I've never owned like a proper travel tripod, but I just can't imagine having a tripod with me all the time, especially for an active trip. Like that's just it's such a bulky, awkward thing to to have with you. But this is one of those things where the kind of trip 
that you're on massively influences your decision. Yeah. I wouldn't take it I wouldn't take a tripod probably on a trip where I know I'm going to be walking around a lot. Uh, but for those cases, you have these tiny uh, tabletop tripods that companies like Manfrotto make, and those are incredible. Those have saved my bacon more times than I can count, really. And they're perfect for selfies. They're perfect for uh, landscape shots where you don't want the camera to move as you're taking the picture if you need to take a long exposure or something like that. In a pinch, they work fantastically well, and... and uh, they are small and light enough that you can just toss them in your bag and you don't even notice they're there. We're talking about like the gorilla pod things, right? Uh, not really. I've mm. I've never used those. I'm talking about the Pixie from Manfrotto, for example, which is oh, a oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 right small yeah. ones. It's a really neat small tripod, and the problem with that, the only problem that I see with that one is that it's made of plastic, so it's not the most uh, resistant. Uh yeah. I smashed mine to bits. Yeah, yeah, I know. Smashed it. Something <laughs> fell on top and it just like broken pieces of plastic everywhere. So, But they sell a different one though, don't they? Like a, an all metal version? They sell several of them. And the, there's a new oh, okay. Pixie that I think it's the Pixie Mark II or something like that, which looks to be a lot, a lot better. I don't know if it's going to be significantly tougher, but it, it appears so uh, by the looks of it at least. But they do make some all metal ones like uh, the one I have, which has a terrible name. I think it's the 209... 492 or whatever they just yeah they just named the whole new <laughs> yeah it's just the serial number of the parts and uh, they're not the most customer friendly when it comes to naming these these things but the it, it works it works pretty well actually um i've owned mine for almost a year now and it's never let me down it's it's one of the best purchases that i've made uh in a long time really I would never imagine traveling with a full-on tripod would be a lot of fun. Like I, I have a, it's called like the the Mi Photo Backpacker or something like that. I know Alvaro has the, is it Suri? Is that how they say? Suray. Suray. Okay, that they're travel specific tripods and they work well. They don't go like as tall as a normal tripod. Um, but I would never imagine. I would never want to take a full-on tripod on a trip. Um, even this backpacker, I'm thinking about leaving it behind. It when it's all. Um, when it's all collapsed in on itself, it's like no more than 12 inches tall and, you know, maybe four inches in diameter, uh, you know, in, in a circle. But, um, I don't, even that I'm a little bit hesitant about to bring that one, bringing that one with as well. Right. That's what I was saying that it depends on the kind of trip that you're on. Right. And for example, if it's a road trip, it, it really doesn't take any effort to just throw it in the trunk and off you go. But if it's, uh, sort of a more complicated trip where you're going to be taking hopping on lots of planes or trains or whatever then it becomes a struggle and even though these are really small and really tiny they add a fair a fair amount of bulk to your to your setup no question but i would still i think i would still take it with me on a significant trip like a four-week trip i probably would take it with me i don't know if i would take it with me every day you know as i walk around the cities or whatever, right. I would probably leave it at the hotel for the most part, but uh, I would like to have it with me in case one day I find a location that calls for a tripod, you know, and you can plan ahead and sort of guess where those might uh, might come up and you can just grab the tripod on those days and leave it behind on, on the other days. So for that reason, I think it's worth, it's, it's worth taking, around, taking around with you. 
But yeah, it depends. For a weekend trip or on a place that I've already been to and that I might come back to, I don't think I would take it either. All right. I want to circle back to cameras for one second here because I, so I mentioned that I tend to travel a lot now with my X100T. And since you guys are, uh, you know, obviously fellow photographers, image quality is, like Alvaro was saying, actually a, a huge concern. And sometimes it outweighs size and um, weight even in a travel context. So have you guys considered something like a, a compact but professional camera for travel? Because right now that is, I mean, they, they tend to be very expensive, but there are options in that zone that have um, basically no compromise on image quality, but are, uh, you know, much more compact than your average uh, DSLR or even mirrorless setup. I'm thinking, um, so Fuji's obviously it's got the X100 series, the X70, the more recent one. But also things like Sony's RX1 um, and the Mark II, especially, which has just the most insane sensor ever in it. Yeah. Um, Panasonic also has their um, LX100. LX100, yeah. Which is kind of like a, a rebranded Leica compact. It's a pretty interesting camera, definitely. Um, and then, of course, there's the Ricoh GR, which is almost always compared to the X100 series, but it's. And the Leica Q. And of course, yeah, the like a Q, right? But this, this is what I'm saying. Like they, they tend to be, there are expensive options, but in general, this is like a whole subcategory of cameras that are pretty much aimed at professional or semi-professional photographers who would like to retain the image quality that they're used to from their main setups, um, but in a more compact and perhaps um, portable form factor. So does this category hold any appeal for you guys or is it just me? For sure it does. If I had the cash, the RX1R2 would be in my bag. Um, Either it would be beside me or it would be around my wife's neck and she could use that for photography and I would use the interchangeable lens camera. Right. That would be my ideal setup. I'm reserving my opinion for when I get three Leica cues in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) One for the head and two for the hand. Of course. (laughs) No, but seriously, I do think about these this category of cameras all the time and now that i have to replace my olympus em10 because realistically i don't think it's worth me owning it anymore uh i've long thought that i would get a sony a6000 but this is in the back of my head too i mean uh, maybe a fuji x100t would be a better alternative because after all the 35 millimeter equivalent focal length is where i'm most comfortable at and that would work incredibly well I think there's uh, there's something extra to these cameras that an interchangeable lens camera can't can't have, and so I'm I'm very intrigued by that. I've never seriously tested any of these these cameras, but I would love to, no doubt. And like like Josh said, probably being the image quality freak that I am, I would probably go with the RX One R Two as well if I had to choose. But that's just too expensive for me right now. It's like $3,500, so it's not realistic by any... Aside from cost, there's also battery life issues. And if you're out on the you know out on the town um, shooting a whole bunch and maybe you forget to bring a battery pack or whatever, that's the only thing that DP Review had a bad thing to say about the RX1R2, correct? Uh, that, it would, that it had terrible battery life? Yeah, Sony cameras in general... Um, are, are struggling a little bit on that front, yeah, because they're using they're all using these NP uh, FW50. I think it's the battery, the, yeah. the, the particular battery that they use, and this is a pretty old 
battery model. So I think we're overdue for a, a, a new battery in, in high-end Sony cameras at least, or people are, are claiming, are asking Sony for that. And the day that they deliver on that, it, it will be a happy day for everyone, I'm sure. So yeah, that for me, the Sony RX1 R2 would be like, I, I think that's the ultimate, the um, desert island travel camera. At least until three weeks from now when they release the Mark III, yeah. It, right, right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would like to. Uh, I would like to try one of those because uh, my biggest concern with it is again the the ergonomics because it's it's actually it's compact enough that I wonder if it's uncomfortable. It might be actually, yeah. Right. Like I spent some time in a store with the original RX One, and I found it to be um, kind of awkward to use just because of the the compactness. I almost wish that they had uh, made it ever so slightly bigger and had it just a little bit more comfortable because it's the kind of camera that I'm probably, you know, at $3,500, you're probably not going to toss it into a pocket casually, right? right. So I'd, I'd be willing to sacrifice a little bit of quote unquote pocketability in favor of some actual shooting comfort, which might mean a bigger grip. It might mean a little bit more distance between buttons, um, you know, however it manifests. And it doesn't have to be as large as the um, X100 series or anything like that. But there's there's a middle ground there that I would like to see them explore because um, it, in terms of just sheer image quality, I think there's very little competition to the RX1R2. Right. Yeah, RX1. Oh, Why yeah. don't they just call it the RX1 or RX2? <laughs> like just, yeah. I can't even. Uh, I don't know. How about the iPhone SS or whatever? <laughs> Yeah, just oh god. We should we should have like an open letter to the industry. Please name your cameras sensibly. Oh yeah. I'd like to point out something you said about the RX One R two, and it's that uh, size wise, this looks like a very compact camera, but it really isn't because the lens is huge. Yes, and it's quite heavy. So it's not pocketable. Yeah, it's not pocketable by any by any reasonable definition of the word. So there there would be almost no downside to having the body itself be a little bit bigger or have a more substantial grip because the lens is already uh, protruding quite a bit and making the whole camera thicker. So you could definitely add a more substantial way to handle the camera and it would be, I think, much better ergonomically without increasing the overall size of the package. Uh, to me, the design is a little bit baffling that way, but yeah. Another potential advantage of making it ever so slightly bigger is that you have more room for um, weather sealing gaskets around the ports and things like that. So you have an opportunity to also make it properly, um, you know, weather resistant so that it actually becomes the perfect travel camera, even for people who are going into, um, right. you know, more difficult scenarios, whether it's just like jungles or... I'm confused. The current RX1 R2 is not weather sealed? Is that what you're saying? I think it's probably, I, I'm not 100% certain, but my impression was that it's it's one of those things that's quote unquote weather resistant rather than something that you could actually use in the rain. Right, like they couldn't commit to something. Yeah, but that's, a, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, I think that's just Sony terminology for weather sealing because they don't have any cameras where they actually say this is weather sealed. They always say dust and moisture resistant. Or something like that. I know, but but that's that's what I'm saying. I want them to make it so that this camera is explicitly sealed. Sealed, yeah. And it's not. They can say like, "Don't submerge it," you know, "Don't be an idiot." But 
they it should be something where we're not worried about taking it in the rain because right now it's ambiguous agreed uh, yeah it's ambiguous it's ambiguous terminology wise but i'm not sure if it's ambiguous you know in terms of actual technology i think it's probably already good enough to to conform to what you're describing they they're just refusing for whatever reasons to state it in those terms and it might be something as simple as the fact that the weather sealing is a trademark term used by another camera manufacturer or something like that. I have no idea how these things work. Right. Or 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 it may not be. I mean, you're absolutely right that it is ambiguous, but my my hunch is that the ambiguity is on the on the words, not on the tech. Yeah, that that might be true. Well what we can agree with for sure is that weather sealing is just about a must have for these travel cameras, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, weather resistance or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever whatever you call it, it's it's something that I know that I miss tremendously with my X100T. It's it's something that I've been bugging Fuji to um, consider for whatever the next version is. It's not weather sealed? Well, it's not really weather sealed. I mean, I've used it in the rain. It's fine, but it's not actually weather sealed, so I oh, kind of worry about it. Breaker. And yeah, it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a letdown in what is otherwise... Currently, I think the best compromise between price, image quality, you know, blah, blah, blah. It fits very nicely into that Venn diagram. But without weather sealing, it's not, uh, it, it just, yeah, I, I really want them to do that for the next generation. And just to be thorough, the RX1R2 is not weather sealed in any way. So, oh, okay. Brutal. There you go. There you go. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I thought because it was it was something I remember when I um, was reading about it. I it was like, oh my god, did they make it weather sealed? Then it would be perfect, but I guess not. Not yeah. yet. Like you said, in two weeks they'll they'll have it weather sealed. Yeah, probably. Let's let's call it a month to be safe. But yeah. yeah. The last thing accessory that I'm curious about. Um, our fil filters. What, what do you guys think about filters? Uh, I'm reviewing a lens right now for tools and toys that has a big bulbous front element that doesn't allow like those screw in you know, the threaded filters or circular polarizers. So you actually have to use an actual filter system. Yeah, it's, that's common with wide angle lenses. Right. Um, but do you guys recommend having uh, an actual filter system that screws on the outside of your lens and uh, for, you know, like I think there's that Lee filter system, right? They've got the big stopper and the big, uh, the whatever, they got crazy names for them, but uh, they're really good for getting rid of light and taking those landscape shots that look surreal. Yeah, I think this is firmly in the category of you are a photographer who's traveling. Exactly. They're necessary. It's a very finicky thing. Like the, the systems are great and obviously they open up some very interesting shooting possibilities for you, but it's, I really don't think this is the kind of accessory that you'll find most people taking with them. Right. Um, it's also partly because they're fragile, right? I mean, they're, they're these tiny little bits of glass. It's, yeah, it's pieces of glass. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting article that I was reading actually just this week um, and we'll link it in the show notes, but it was a... Um, it was a uh, an article by one of I think the best photography bloggers that I'm aware of. Um, his name is Ming, and he wrote an article that was kind of looking at the state of filters right now and which ones are still worth it. You know, because some certain filters like color filters and things like that have kind of become unnecessary because of the way that camera technology has advanced. Um, uh, that makes sense. So he just kind of discusses the types of filters and which ones still have relevance in today's. Um, shooting landscape and uh, it, it's it's an interesting read I, I recommend it but yeah for me it's a filter system is definitely not something I'm going to take with me unless I am explicitly going on like a landscape photography 
um, shoot, in which case it's really less travel and more like work, probably a work trip. Right. And this is yet another argument in favor of these compact cameras, because some of them have built-in ND filters, and that takes away much of the need for for this sort of thing right there. Yes. This is That's an incredible thing, and I think that should be included in all modern cameras, really. Yeah, I think the, I mean, the X100T has it, and I don't know about the other ones in the uh, the Compact Pro category, but it's something that I use all the time, and I miss it on every other camera. It's It's so... Uh, it's so relaxing knowing that you can be shooting in sunlight and just press one button to get three stops of ND filter in there without fiddling with any additional glass or anything like that. It's it's really wonderful. Right. And and to consider the, the bigger picture, I think um, unless it's a photography-intensive trip, you know, specifically, or, or a working trip of, of some kind, I think you can get away with sort of having a limited filter set, like a filter kit, like only you could easily get away with having an ND filter and a polarizing filter, and that's it. Those are really the only two that you're likely to need on most occasions when you're when you're on a trip, uh, because all the other filters are just too specific, and some of them, like the color color filters, or um, I don't know, there there's a, there are a bunch of of different types. Those are for very specific applications that are not something you're likely to encounter by chance, you know. Yeah, I think the polarizing filter is really the only the only separate filter that I would consider bringing with me just because it's a Yeah, I like those two. It's it's such a it's such a useful one to have and it's impossible to replicate or to sort of work around in post. So if, you know, if you know that you're going to be shooting a lot of watery scenes or you want those really amazing looking skies, um, it's probably worth having a polarizing filter, you know, at least for your wide angle lens option, whatever that happens to be. Yeah, I agree. Right. So if you guys were taking a one month trip, now this will be a biased question again, because we are all photographers. Um, but let's say that you, uh, yeah, you're going on a one month trip and you can't go back home in between to pick up different gear. What are, what's going to be your roundup? What's going to be your kit for that month? Your ideal kit. Let's ignore money. And let's ignore what we currently own. Uh, or include what you currently own and don't worry about price stuff. But if you could choose a travel package, what would it be? Right. Well, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, it's a tough one too. Yeah, it is. It is. Let me think. Especially when money's no object. <laughs> Cause then you could just hire someone to carry all your bags with all of the equipment behind you. Right. <laughs> I think if I sold, if I sold two of the Leica Qs, I might be able to afford pretty much anything. So that takes care <laughs> of the issues right there. Uh, no, but seriously, I think I would take one of these, uh, compact, uh, fixed lens cameras and it would be probably the RX1R2. So that's for casual walk-around shots whenever I'm whenever I'm out and about, you know. And then for uh, if it's going to be a one month long, I'm probably going to want to visit specific uh, locations where I know that I will want to take different pictures. So for that, I would need a telephoto lens and uh, yeah, I would I would just take a three lens kit with me and uh, an interchangeable lens camera, which would be, if I could choose any, it would be the Sony a7R2, definitely right now. And the lenses would be 
the 16 to 35 f4 and the 70 to 200 f 2.8 good choices if it's if that's been announced already whenever whenever i go on the trip because as of right now it's still not for sale not available for sale but yep those two would be my uh, and, and the third lens would be a prime lens which would probably be the 35 millimeter f 1.4 that's a big lens to carry around it is no doubt it is it is especially if you've got it covered in your rx1 r2 but that's that's why i'm taking it because Anytime I don't want to carry a lot of stuff with me, I'm taking the RX1 R2 and leaving everything else behind. Oh, smart. Okay, I get it. Yep. And yep, for those occasions where I know that I want to have a proper kit with me, then I, I leave the RX1 R2 behind and I take everything else. Any action cameras, accessories, nope. or like you probably take a tripod, a, the small tripod? Yeah, I would probably just take the, the Manfrotto one that I have, the, the tabletop okay. tripod that I have. Uh, but no, no, no... No GoPros, no nothing. Okay. And you'd stuff it all in a backpack, most likely. Most likely, definitely. Now that you have extreme shoulder pain. Definitely, yeah. Okay. Marius? Well, um, I I think for me, it's tempting to say that I would um, have a compact camera and that like the same setup as Alvaro, like a compact everyday carry camera and then the more serious interchangeable lens kit. Um, but realistically, what I've found is that if I'm carrying a camera the size, uh, unless it's like DSLR versus X100 kind of thing, it's not going to make a difference. So probably what I would do is I would choose an X-Pro2 and I would choose a 16 millimeter prime. I would choose the 35 F2 and I would choose the 90 millimeter um, because that would give me the three sort of focal ranges that I'm most likely to use the 24 megapixel sensor gives me a little bit of cropping latitude if I need to change framing beyond that, and I can't do it by zooming with my feet. Um, that sensor has already proven itself to me to be capable in a wide range of scenarios, including low light, which is uh, something that I find myself wanting to shoot a lot when I travel. And each of those three lenses is basically the best that I've ever used in that focal range. So I would feel very confident in their ability to focus quickly and render the image the way that I want. Um, so that would be my, and the, the whole system, even with the 90 mil is still comfortable enough to take with me that it's not going to stop me from taking photos. So that's, that's a big factor. I mean, I had the I had the 90 mil with an X-T1 with me hiking in the mountains last summer and it was fine. It really was. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a fairly hefty lens for mirrorless standards, um, but it was not so hefty that I didn't want to take it with me, especially seeing the images coming out of it. And I would leave my X100 behind because there's no point. Uh, the X-Pro2 gives me better images, and with the 35mm f2, I'm basically equivalent as far as... Uh, optics so why bother you know just one one question there yeah because the reason i can see to take the x100 or the rx102 that i mentioned is that there's a valid case to be made for having two cameras on a trip you know in the event of an accident a theft or whatever if you're if you have a backup camera you know you're not going to be rendered you know with the, without the ability of taking any pictures at all Right. So you didn't let me finish. Okay. Oh, boom. <laughs> the backup camera is my smartphone. Right. Um, because now now with the iPhone 6S Plus, which I'm rocking, um, honestly, I am thrilled by the images that come out of it. And I think what I would do 
um, it, just in order to make sure that it was capable of of taking the kinds of images I would want, I would bring one of those little mini tripods that you've just told me about. I think I'm going to go out and try one, um, get a mount so that I can have the phone clipped onto it. And uh, perhaps one of the Moment, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Moment, but they make um, third-party lens attachments for the iPhone, but they also have a camera case for the iPhone, which um, is pretty great. I bought one for my mom and it's uh, it's awesome. It You have a shutter button, you have their own photo app, and it just makes it a lot more comfortable for using it as a, as a camera. So I would probably have that as my backup. It would also be my very, very subtle camera for whatever scenario I would find myself in where uh, the full X-Pro2 kit is not appropriate or just, you know, is not there for whatever reason. So I think I'd be pretty happy with that. I don't, I don't know that I would feel any, um, any gaps. The, if, if I had some experience with the A7R Mark II and I could say confidently that I like the ergonomics, then I would probably choose that. But because I'm familiar with the Fuji system, I'm very comfortable processing those files. And I know that I love the X-Pro2. It's just the, the obvious option for me as a travel setup. And tripods, filters, um, backpack versus messenger. How about that stuff? It would probably be a backpack. Um, just again, because it's more versatile for travel. Maybe a polarizing filter for the 16 mil. Um, although they're pretty expensive at that large size. So I'd, I don't know, I'd go back and forth a little on that. Um, and yeah, I would, I would try one of these, uh, one of these pixie tripods. Oh, right. You mentioned that my fault. Okay. That is, it's an enlightening because I'm, I, I've got the 25 millimeter Battis, the 55 millimeter sonar and the 85 millimeter Battis, uh, for the Sony full frame system. And I think that kind of ranges the X pro two and the, the three lens, uh, lineup that you had there, right, Marius? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. So I've got those, um, and I think that's that's definitely what I'm going to travel with. But I think if I could ideally, if I could ideally do anything, um, I, I this sounds actually really nuts, but I think I might consider the EM1 and the 40 to 150 if I had to go with a telephoto lens. If I like, I I'm, I've got the 85 millimeter, and I think that's going to be enough. But let's just theoretically say that it's not enough. I don't know if I want to carry anything larger. And the 40 to 150 F2.8 Pro is a nice little, uh, like you don't need to worry too much about depth of field with the kind of compressed landscape images that I was talking about earlier. Um, so yeah, that might be the, the option that I would consider myself. That's an excellent alternative, yeah. For sure, it's small and light. But I, I probably would go with the EM5 Mark II instead because of the high-res mode. Oh, right, yes. Yes, good point, which I already have, as it turns out. So yeah, that, right. Um, the RX1R2 would be a, a great choice. I'd like to have that one as a backup as well. But something that we haven't mentioned at all and that the X-Pro2 rocks on is that, again, that dual SD card slot. Like, I'm really, really nervous about going out and having a card failure, you know, by 6 o'clock in the evening, haven't made it back to the hotel yet to offload all my images onto my computer. Um, that's a little bit of a... I, I've never... Th- considered it stressful prior to this uh, because I never really took the photography thing seriously. But now that I take it a little more seriously, that is a definite, um, a definite bonus of that X-Pro2 camera. Yeah. It's something that, uh, it's something that you, uh, it's, it's not an issue until it is <laughs> right sort of right. thing, but um, yeah, the peace of mind is useful. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite aspects of the X-Pro2. I'm really glad that they did that. It's, it's definitely a signal that it's, 
intended for not you know like serious usage right um and i think it's only a matter of time before you guys get a body like that in the sony system so again like we wait two weeks it'll be out yep. <laughs> um and it'll be great and and that's that's fine it's just for me because of the uncertainty on the ergonomic front um i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to commit to that especially if because when you go on a trip i find that what's really important is knowing the camera inside out so that when you're in the moment you don't have to think or wonder or um worry about anything like you just you know how to get to the settings that you need you know how to get the shot and you know how the camera behaves so that you're not um in a scenario where you're like oh i'm not quite sure if the autofocus will be able to keep up with this or i'm not quite sure if the low light iso you know high iso image quality will be sufficient to blah 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 like if you know all of that stuff beforehand because you're familiar with the camera even if you don't have the best camera you're probably going to get better images because you'll be there in that moment yeah absolutely also, I would love to have a GoPro in my in my travel kit. I don't know, like now that I'm doing the research, I think that this is a must have. We're on our trip, I think we're gonna go on hit hit a beach or two along the way. And I I really would love to have a little video camera to bring along just for those few fun times. If we go on a hike, we're thinking about doing the Lucerne region in Switzerland and there's lots of hikes and stuff in the mountainous area there. I would love to have a GoPro for for hikes like that. So um yeah, that'll be, I really have, I have my eye on this Hero 4 Silver. I like that idea. I might go Hero 3 because it's a little cheaper and I don't, I won't ever use it outside of this trip. Uh, but that would be I, a definite must have in my, in my travel kit. Maybe if you wait a little longer, you can get the Nikon one. That too. How long is that supposed to be before it's out? I have no idea. I don't even know if they've announced a uh, release date, have they? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure either, but it, it says a revolution is coming. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but it really looks amazing. It yeah. does look impressive. I am legitimately impressed with a Nikon product for like the first time ever. Oh. Oh, I should. <laughs> I like the D500. That looks really cool. And the D5 can like shoot so many images in one Im in one second, like hokey smokes. We call this foreshadowing, guys, because we're going to talk about DSLR versus mirrorless in another episode, and now we <laughs> oh. know who's going to be the outlier. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, yeah, there. That 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 would be my kit. All right. Maybe the Nikon Key Mission. Key Mission. Oh my. I mean, we talked about names. And I don't know that seems odd you know what it's it's at least a word it's not like right. a bunch of numerals and marks and yeah like, dash underscore slash whatever key yeah. dash mission dash 362 